You're listening to the Assembly Call IU Podcast and Post Game Show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Activate your free Assembly Call membership today at assemblycall.com slash join. That's assemblycall.com slash join. That is how you're a champion. It really is. And now, get ready for another brand new edition of the Assembly Call. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to another disappointed episode of the Assembly Call, as tonight your Indiana Hoosiers drop another game to an in-state rival, losing 83-78 to to the Butler Bulldogs. Uh, this was a game that for a while there looked like it was going to follow a similar script to last year uh, in the Crossroads Classic, when Indiana, of course, fell behind big to Notre Dame and then came back with a flurry in the second half. And the Hoosiers appeared to be on track to do exactly that, cutting it down to to four in the second half, getting even closer than that. Uh, but Butler was able to make plays late, make their free throws, and secure the 83-78 to 78 win, uh, which we will break down for you here on this episode of the Assembly Call IU Postgame Show. I am your host, Jared Morris. I will be joined by Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. Uh, and guys, let's start out, as we always do, with our Hoosier Proud banner moment and it's always hard finding banner moments in games like this that are so disappointing uh, when Indiana loses and when so many things go wrong. And obviously, we're going to break down everything that went wrong tonight. But the banner moment for me came when Indiana was down 79-74. And they had, they had battled back. They're down 79-74. Uh, and, and Thomas Bryant made a really nice defensive play. Um, it, Indiana gets the rebound, goes down, and James Blackman Jr. You know, kind of takes a quick three. Or in fact, this might have been when it was 79-77. I don't remember exactly when it was. But you'll recall Blackman kind of in transition took a really quick three-pointer. Uh, and he missed it. And I think a lot of people were kind of criticizing him for taking a quick three. Well, on the very next possession, Indiana was much more patient on offense. Uh, Butler had gone into his zone. Indiana got the ball to OG uh, up high, made a pass fake, got Blackman wide open for a three-pointer, and he made it, which I believe at that point then brought Indiana within two. Uh, and, and the reason why that stood out to me is because the biggest issue for Indiana coming into this season was who's going to be the guy to take and make the big shots. And obviously you've got to have the guy who's willing to take them, but he's also got to be able to make them. And I think what James showed us in this second half, it was an imperfect game for him. His defense wasn't very good. He didn't rebound like he normally did, uh, obviously. And we'll get into all of that, but I thought his shot making at the end of the game, as we saw against Kansas, as we saw against North Carolina, continues to be a plus for Indiana when they need shots in big games. He's been a guy who's been able to make them. Now, Indiana wasn't able to make enough shots. His teammates weren't able to step up enough to win the game. But it was at least nice to see, again, uh, in a game when so many things were going wrong for Indiana, James Blackman Jr. was a guy who was able to step up and say, I'll take the big shots. Uh, and he made a lot of them in the second half, just not enough to pull out a victory uh, there for Indiana. Uh, tonight's banner moment brought to you by our friends at Hoosier Proud, an Indiana-based brand by Hoosiers for Hoosiers. Connor and the team at Hoosier Proud offer a line of t-shirts and accessories that are unmatched for anyone who wants a unique, stylish way to display their own pride in being a Hoosier. Check them out at HoosierProud.com and use the promo code ASSEMBLY to receive a 15% discount on your entire order. That's promo code ASSEMBLY to receive 15% off at HoosierProud.com. All right, let's make the extra pass, find the open man, and get some opening thoughts from the rest of our team on tonight's Indiana loss to Butler. Andy, we will start with you. Your bottoms line brought to us by Bracketology.fm. 
Uh, there's a couple different ways I feel like I could go. I'll, I'll take this one, um, and I'm sure we'll get to the other one later. But uh, I, I thought it was you know Thomas Bryant, and, and IU got back in the game. He scored five straight points at one point, really got him within, I want to say, seven uh, at that point, maybe six. And, uh, and then they got away from that for two possessions. Butler went on a 6-0 run, and IU did make another run toward the end, but it really felt like IU had the momentum. Um, Bryant really got hot early. Uh, went to the bench late in the the set, or late in the first half with foul trouble, and that was when things really started to kind of come off the rails heading into the half, uh, going in down you know thirteen or fourteen, whatever it was at halftime. But I just thought um, it, it was one of those. You know, I feel like we said this a few years ago. Those one of the d- does this team know what it's doing when it's playing well, and and every time, uh, maybe not every time, but nearly every time that Bryant got the ball in the post, something good happened. Even if he missed the shot, you know, Juwan Morgan would get in for a rebound. It just forced the defense to react so much. And so much of what got IU in the huge hole that it dug for itself in the first half came during that stretch when he wasn't on the floor or at times when he wasn't touching the ball and IU would just settle for threes. It's not that they took threes. This team, as we all know, is gonna is going to take threes um, and, and ideally will make uh, quite a quite a few of them, but they weren't playing inside out, and it's the same pattern. And I feel like we're going to hear the same thing after the game of you know we didn't play through the paint, we didn't do whatever. Well, at some point that has to change. It can't just be words that we say every time a game doesn't go well. Um, and, and so I thought they went away from it, they got back to it at the end, and then they went away from it again, and uh, it, it just continues to be frustrating. I think you know we talked about that coming in that some of these other games uh, against lesser competition that you know those are games it's easy to you know, kind of pass over the fact that Bryant's not getting the ball a lot, thought he would today, and he did. Um, but for as many, you know, for as much as he got it, it wasn't enough uh, in my estimation. And and as we start thinking about these next couple games where there's the whole not, not a whole lot to be gained from a resume standpoint, from a win and loss standpoint, you know, they need to make a concerted effort to get him the ball and figure out how to do that consistently. Uh, or they're going to have times like this. The point guard play isn't good enough uh, right now to, to be able to overcome not getting your best player the ball inside ryan you got plenty to rant about tonight brought to us by the big lead.com what are you going to choose uh you know i got i got to talk about that uh last out of bounds play uh where i, I think it was shrabbits drove and he got fouled clearly uh by josh newkirk but they didn't call it and the ball went out of bounds off of shrabbits no indiana player touched it they went over and reviewed it and kept the ball with butler it was clearly off of Butler. Some will say justice was served there because it should have been a foul. Um, but that's not what replay is supposed to be. You can't go back and relitigate a foul uh, if, through replay. That ball was off of Butler. If there's no foul on the play, not called in the Indiana should have had the ball. Now, I get it. Justice was served. But with the amount of questionable calls that go on in college basketball, and IU benefited from a lot of questionable calls today as well. I, I thought it was bad both ways. This was not a Indiana lost because of bad calls. But I just want to know, like, are we ever going to figure out what officials are actually looking for? I mean, are there ever going to be like a day where we understand, okay, in this situation, here's what we're looking for? Because I feel like these guys don't know what they're doing. And, and, it's, and it's at the point where, I mean, again, I don't think it affected the outcome of this game. It's just as a fan watching, it ruins the game. I mean, it, that clearly that ball was off of Butler. The very next play, Butler gets an inbounds pass. And you know what? Thomas Bryant blew his assignment. Easy layup or dunk. Uh, Butler, you know, takes what would end up being an insurmountable lead. That's on Thomas Bryant for not playing defense. But I'm just so ticked because at that point, like, I, I, I'm beside myself wondering how they decide that that's Butler's ball. Like, I really don't get it. And 
I just don't understand. If that's not the way replay is supposed to work, why is it in this game at that point, that's how it worked? And, I, you know, I, I, I complain about officiating a lot. That's not why Indiana lost this game. Indiana lost this game because it shot 28% from the three-point line, uh, where Butler, and traditionally a decent three-point shooting team, but not a great team, shot 47.6, and Keelan Martin made some ridiculous shots. That's why Indiana lost this game. Um, but as a fan, it ruins the experience when you're sitting there questioning every single friggin' call, and you have no idea what guys are looking at from one position to the next. So I, I just think that the NCAA needs to get it, get it, get it together and figure out what's going on and get these guys to a set level of rules and actually punish guys if they do the wrong thing or make the wrong call. There's no accountability, and it, and it ru- it's ruining basketball, in my opinion. But as you said, not the reason why Indiana lost tonight. I mean, that's obviously a call if it goes a different way. You know, maybe something different happens. But of course, if Indiana doesn't defend Butler like they defended Illinois in 2013, then maybe Indiana gets a stop there and things are a little bit different. And I think that, oh, absolutely. that, that and, and that walking away from this game, I think that's what's going to be frustrating to Indiana fans because, look, Butler's good. And there's no shame in losing to Butler on a neutral floor. We can all agree with that. This is not losing to Indiana State. I think the frustration in this game, and, and there's certainly some frustration with the refs, Ryan, because, I mean, there's always frustration with college basketball refs. But, Andy, I, I think you hit on it that it just seems like it it, it, it it sometimes it takes Indiana a while to recognize what they need to do to play well. And they did try to get the ball to Bryant more in the second half, but you go back to that first half when Indiana's down by 14 at halftime. And, you know, Josh Newkirk, played about as bad of a first half as you can play. And I thought his defense in the second half on Keelan Martin was a big part of Indiana getting back into the game because he stopped Keelan Martin when no one else could. But his he only had one turnover in the first half, but he had six shots that all might as well have been turnovers because he was driving wildly. And I just, you know, and... I think that's what's going to frustrate Indiana fans the most is it's like we just slept walk through the whole first half, not really playing our game. And why does it take us so long to recognize that? Why does it take us so long to figure that out? And then this flurry in the second half, it's not enough to to come back because we dug ourselves such a big hole. Hop in, Ryan, if you want to talk about Newkirk. Yeah, I look, Josh Newkirk in the first half, that was one of the worst halves of basketball I've seen an Indiana player play in years. I mean, it was it was terrible, and I'm not. I think I'm understating it by that. Um, he was 0 of six from the field, uh, just terrible, terrible all around first half. I was very rough on him on Twitter at halftime, just like why is he on the floor? You know, all that stuff. All and of course, uh, you know, he proved me wrong in the second half. He was three of five from the field. He was aggressive. I thought in the first half he did what he did against Fort Wayne. He stood 35 feet away from the basket and dribbled the ball into the floor and did nothing and didn't move and then wasn't particularly good defensively. He was okay in stretches. Second half, he was the best defender on the floor for Indiana, I think. Uh, as you said, his defense on Keelan Martin, he he shut off a hot player, basically. Because Keelan uh, Martin was going Jordan Taylor on us. I mean, yeah, he I mean was, Ke- it was ridiculous. Martin, Keelan Martin was ridiculous. I mean, some of those shots he was making were well defended. He was just hitting them. I mean, you know, Morgan maybe could have been a little closer, but those weren't uncontested shots, you know, and he was just draining them. I mean, and sometimes you just have to, you know, shrug your shoulders and say, look, the guy beat us. It's it. It happens. Um, But I'll give Josh Newkirk and Indiana credit. They fought their butts off in the second half. They played hard. They brought it back. It was too little too late. You're right, Jared. And, and, and they need to be able to turn that on earlier. But I do give them credit for getting back into this, making it a game. And, and they played really well in long stretches in the second half. 
after not playing well in long stretches in the first half. So I, I, I have to kind of tip my cap to, to a guy like Newkirk and, and to the way the team came out in the second half because they really did fight when they could have rolled over several times in that half. You know, they made a couple of runs where Butler turned around and made a run to put it right back where it was. And they could have just said, this isn't our night and let it go. And they didn't. They made this a game. I mean, as you said, you had James Blackwood Jr. jogging down the court, down three with a pull, a wide open pull up three. And it rimmed out. And some people are saying he should have, you know, run the offense or whatever. I'll take him taking that shot any day. He's your best shooter. It was a good shot. He, He got a good look a clean look and he and he's your best shooter. I'll take that anytime. And uh that would have tied the game. So yeah, I I mean, yeah, I'll give I'll give Newkirk credit for his second half and I'll also give uh give the team credit for fighting back. They could have rolled over. They could have just said, "Okay, this isn't our night. It's a neutral floor. We're not shooting well." And they fought through the fact they could they they couldn't hit a three tonight. I mean, 28.6%, 6 of 21 from 3. Uh and that's what this team hangs its hat on a lot. And they still fought. I mean, they out-rebounded Butler forty-one to twenty-six. I mean, that's insane. Um, so a lot of a lot of what they did was fighting. Andy, hop in here. Yeah, I just I thought Newkirk in some ways was just symptomatic of the first half where they just looked lost in terms of initiating the offense. I mean, they had no fewer than six guys come up. I mean, they had all five guards on on scholarship played and brought the ball up the court. They had Morgan bringing the ball up the court, and they they honestly just didn't. They just didn't. It, no one could get anything going and it really I, I really wanted and not just as the you know Robert Johnson fan club president apologist whatever you want to say like I really wanted him to step up and take charge of the game and nobody ever took charge in the first half and I think that's what I guess I was most frustrated about during that stretch where the game really got away from him um, late was it you know somebody has to step up and settle everybody down and take charge and I thought Newkirk just was adding gasoline to the fire at that point went by, you know, driving wildly into the basket, throwing the ball to guys in positions they weren't going to be able to score. Um, you know, the one play he drove not really into the corner. Not, I mean, there was literally nobody else there. Like if you got the ball where you were trying to get to, what in the world were you going to do with it? Um, and I agree that he bounced back in the second half, but yeah, it just, I think it, it certainly showed, you know, the, you know, the loss of Yogi and what that means, but just this team needs a legit consistent point guard. And if that, and if Robert Johnson needs to slide over and play that role, then so be it and be less of a shooter or whatever. But they need to figure that out because if they don't figure that out, games against teams that are really fundamentally sound and really make you work offensively are going to become a huge challenge. And uh, I thought it was an opportunity to really figure out like, hey, who's going to settle this team down when they need it? And the answer today was no one. Um, not saying that's always going to be the answer, but today it no. was no one. No, that's a great point. And for as much as James Blackman Jr. has shown us that he can be the guy to take and make big shots at the end of games, there's still that void that Yogi leaves of being the guy who can kind of take control in a first half and get you into what you need to do and kind of settle things down. And Indiana didn't have that in the first half at all today. Okay, uh, we're going to talk about the day for Tom Crean because I thought it was a pretty mixed bag for him, and that might even be nice. So we're going to talk about that here coming up uh, and obviously break down the rest of this game. But first, I do want to take a quick minute and tell you about our sponsor, SeatGeek. Uh, you know, as well as I do, that buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show that you want to go to, and none of those older ticket sites seem to want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along, and they've created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. That's why they're the first place I go when I'm looking for tickets to a game or concert because everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. They do all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. 
They do the work. You save the time and money. Best of all, our listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. Here's how you get that rebate. Download the SeatGeek app. It's free. Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code and enter the promo code assembly, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So again, download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code assembly today. All righty. Well, you are listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, and we are breaking down Indiana's five-point loss to Butler tonight. Uh, and guys, let's talk about the night uh, for Tom Crean. Because, look, I think after the Indiana State game, we all hoped that that game would be a game where some important lessons were learned and, you know, you come out and you play really sluggish and then sometimes you don't have enough to come back in the second half and win that game. And Indiana came out and played similarly in this game to how they played in the first half of that Fort Wayne game. They just seemed like a team that wasn't quite ready for a fight, you know, outside of a few stretches for Thomas Bryant in the first half and a little bit of James Blackman Jr. at the end of the first half. You know, no one else really seemed like they wanted to come play. And Indiana's down by 14, and you got Freddie McSwain in playing key minutes in the final four minutes of the first half. I thought it was a mistake to not play Thomas Bryant with two fouls in the first half because Butler went on a 12-4 run to end the first half. That's when they really extended the lead, and Thomas was one of the few guys playing well in the first half, and he's proven that he can play well with two fouls and not pick up another foul. Uh, and, and I just thought, you know, in terms of having a team ready, being able to make adjustments, being able to refocus the team, uh, you know, I think Tom Crean has done a lot of good things over the last couple of years. This is the kind of game that is going to bring out a lot of the same narratives, frustrations, fears that IU fans have, because this was a sweet 16 level atmosphere type game. And Indiana played like we sometimes see them play in the sweet 16, which is not like the Hoosiers that get that, that we see get there and not quite knowing what to do or have adjustments when other teams have them. Uh, Andy, let me go over to you first and just get your thoughts on, on some of Crean's decisions uh, and his night as a whole. Uh, yeah, I'd, I would echo what you said. I just didn't. Yeah. The McSwain thing was interesting. You know, Brian, especially it, it wasn't like, like Butler was really attacking him uh, defensively either. I mean, he got a lot of his, his fouls on rebounding plays and things like that. It, um, it wasn't like they're really posting Weidman up on him and, and he didn't doesn't have, you know, an array of moves in there. So I thought he could have taken him out for a couple of minutes and calm him down. But certainly when the game started to get away from him, I thought uh, there was a chance to put him back in. I, the other thing that stood out to me was and I, I tweeted about this a couple of times in the second half. You know, they made a run early in the half and then you come back out and there's no OG. There's no Rojo. There's no James Blackman Jr. And it's like, yeah. You know, I think I think my exact words were, I don't know how I don't know the exact answer to get back in this game, but playing two of the five best players on the team at a time is not it. And I thought there were multiple scenarios in that. Now, he rode with the lineup that was playing well down the stretch, um, which was good at that point. But, um, you know, Devontae Green gave a, a nice few minutes when he came in around the eight minute mark. But that seemed like an odd time to bring him in as well. I mean, he proved to, you know, play relatively well during that stretch. Um and it was, it, yeah, I just thought the lineups, the first half, kind of like I said, that many guys initiating the offense. I thought it was a, you know, games that kind of made me start doing the lineup analysis in the first place, quite honestly, of, well, let's just throw everything out there and see what works. And, and that happened a little bit less the second half. I think we saw more consistent play from the the guys who we would all agree are the better players on the team in the second half. And I think the results, um, you know, spoke for themselves as they got back in the game. But yeah, I definitely did not think it was great. You guys talked, touched on the Blackman shot earlier. You know, to me at that point, you've got some momentum. You've got three timeouts left and there's a minute left in the game. 
if you're not taking them, then when are you going to take them? You know, they end up using them all. But at that point, one of them is on an inbounds play when you're one second left and you're down by um, you're down by five. So it really doesn't matter at that. Drawing up the that. five point play, Andy. Come on. Oh, I love <laughs> I do love a good five point play. But um, so, yeah, I just thought I thought there were chances to, to do things differently there. I, I'll be interested to see what the lineups look like. Uh, I was trying to keep up with them during the game, but the uh, stat feed I was using had one that was messed up, so I got to go back and rewatch part of the game to figure that out. But uh, yeah, it just felt like some weird combinations at key times in the first half, and it just, again, kind of like I said with Newkirk, just added fuel to the fire at that point and and just dug the hole even bigger. Yeah, I mean, Indiana comes out, you know, they're down 42-28 at halftime. They come out at the start of the second half, and they go on a 13-8 to run before the first media timeout. Solid. You're down by nine, and then... Newkirk, McRoberts, and Curtis Jones all came in after the first media timeout because Newkirk didn't start the second half. And we immediately lost momentum. And I have, I mean, littered throughout my notes, I was like, Is some, are, are these guys injured? Why are we not going back to Bryant and Morgan? Why are they not in there? Because they were playing well. And that seems like the time where you want to keep that momentum going. So I just, I didn't understand that um, yeah. at all. Ryan? Yeah, oh. what, hang on. One other, one other quick thing on that. And, and that was at the time that Martin was just going bananas. And and at that point, then they've got Newkirk in. Well, then you're not making him work on defense at all. You know, he or not Newkirk. You have McRobertson. I mean, so he guarded McRobertson, basically had to do nothing on the defensive end of the court because, as we've talked about, McRoberts, while, you know, sound gets the ball in the right places, doesn't look at the basket enough. So Martin is resting on one end, torching IU on the other at that point. And I thought there were definitely missed opportunities to really put some pressure on him, make him guard a guy like OG or make him, you know, really, really work on defense. And that lineup was one, wasn't effective offensively. And two, wasn't really, you know, making, uh, you know, Butler's best player, uh, you know, work harder uh, on the other end. Ryan, your thoughts, lineups, screen. I think that we found Indiana's best lineup today. Um, I, I think that it's, it's when OG and OB, Juwan Morgan, Thomas Bryant, Robert Johnson, and James Blackman Jr. are all in together. I think that's the Indiana's best lineup. Uh, Newkirk, I think in stretches in the second half, could kind of disprove that theory because of his defense. But the length and athleticism the other lineup gives you, if Robert Johnson can run the point and can bring the ball up, forget the Juwan Morgan. You know, if he gets a rebound, sure, let him run. But forget the Juwan Morgan initiating the offense thing. He's not comfortable doing that yet. Robert Johnson has to step up and be that guy. He has to step up and be a guy who can initiate the offense, run the offense, and and you know, take control and show leadership. If he can do that, that's Indiana's best lineup. And I don't think there's any question. You got, you got five guys on the floor who can shoot it. You got three guys who can rebound and go to the, I mean, you got four guys who can rebound, go to the basket, um, who can play every level of, you know, play at every level and, and hurt, hurt teams at every level. And uh, so I, I just think that's the best lineup. I think that the stretch they were in together today, they played so well and, and were clearly the best five players you know, the best grouping on the floor for either team. Um, so I, I I think that Indiana, once OG Ananobi is fully healthy, and he clearly is not all the way back yet, he's not trusting his ankle. That was obvious tonight. Um, you know, when he tried to drive towards the hoop, he wasn't pushing off well. He wasn't getting any burst. So I think that once he's back, I think that's their best lineup for sure. And I think that that was, that was apparent tonight. I thought those guys played really well together. 
Hey, remind me later. I want to ask you something about OG's shot. Uh, but I don't ask it yet, but I want to ask you later. You know, Jawan Morgan is interesting because I thought one of the biggest plays, and it was kind of in the running for Banner moment for a while, was it was 72 to 64. And if you remember, it was 70 to 62. And man, this ticked me off. Indiana, you know, they make that run. They get it to eight, 70, 62, and then two straight possessions. And they'd been going into Bryant, really doing a good job. Two straight possessions. Newkirk jacks a three and OG jacks a three. And I've just got on my notes, why in all caps, why don't we get it into Thomas? It's like Indiana will do what they need to do, do what they need to do, and then just forget about it for a couple of possessions and go hunt a couple threes. And it's not even Rojo or James taking the three. So I couldn't understand that for the life of me. But then what happened right after that I thought was huge. And it shows you the value Juwan Morgan has to this team. So there was a terrible call on Morgan. You remember the play where he got called for a foul on Travis. And I mean, he had all ball. It was an awful play, the kind of play that if, you know, he kind of went on tilt and was a little out of it for a possession or two, you kind of understand because the call is that bad. But what does he do on the very next possession? He goes down and to Indiana's credit on that next possession coming on the heels of those two horrible three pointers. They get it into Bryant. They were really patient getting it into Bryant. He drove, missed the shot. And Morgan comes out of nowhere for an offensive rebound put back and, and gets fouled. And he cuts it to seven. And it was a huge momentum play for Indiana, just a huge play. And that's pretty much the last thing he did because he didn't play very much from that point on. And I think there were some possessions, you know, in Indiana missed free throws or they missed threes. When you don't have Morgan out there and when OG isn't OG, now you don't have one of your best sources of offense, which is offensive rebounding. Because Shrabis was really putting his butt into Bryant and keeping Bryant off the offensive glass because Bryant had three of them in the first half and didn't get any in the second half. And Jawan had five offensive rebounds, several of them in the second half. And I didn't understand not having him on the court to get some of those second chance looks. So that was another decision to me that just uh, that didn't make sense. And I know you guys have hot opinions on this. Uh, so, Ryan, hop in. Well, I think Morgan came out because he got his fourth foul with about three something left. And what happened, I think there was, well, I know, but I think it was sit him down. They're going to bring him back in. But then Newkirk was playing such good defense on uh on Martin that I don't think they wanted to switch anything. Now then put him in for Robert Johnson if, if Robert's not going to play. I mean if he's not going to take shots. Now he was playing I, okay I, on defense, but to me Morgan's got to be in there. I I, I I would agree with you. I'm just trying to reason out the thinking here. And I think that basically at that point you're choosing between OG and Jawan Morgan. And I think that Ananobi offers you a little bit more offensively if they thought he was playing well. I personally would have gone with Morgan. Um, but I think OG's versatility late, you kind of want to lean towards that, I guess. I, but I, I'm just, I, again, I don't agree with it. I think Morgan should have been on the floor, but I also, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, put out the thinking there. Um, but at the same time, you know, those decisions, uh, we've got hindsight, you know, on that stuff. I mean, if OG's in there and hits a three late to, he's a better three point shooter than Jawan Morgan. If he's in there late and he hits a three, uh, you know, it's it's different. You know, we're looking at it differently. So I know, but what you and your coach, you're paid to have foresight. I know we have hindsight. I'm just saying I these, agree. Are the, these are the decisions that we should criticize because I, I mean, totally. And it's it's valid to criticize it. And, I'm, and, and I actually agree with you. I'm just saying that, you know, in the situation, uh, in that stretch, I think you wanted your best defenders on the floor to get stops. And Morgan's a great defender, but he wasn't defending Martin very well. And I think that that was his only real matchup that, that would have worked at that point um, speed-wise. And he just he was getting beaten consistently, so they switched Newkirk onto him. So, I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough to 
it's tough to to look at that and say this definitely should have happened. But I I tend to agree with you. I would have liked to see him on the floor. Andy, well, this kind of I mean to me this kind of ties together the last two things that we've talked about. I mean I would agree with Ryan that that's the best lineup. That best lineup couldn't be on the floor. Uh, during that stretch because presumably, I mean, again, it kind of goes back to even some of the stuff about who initiates the offense. I think not only was, you know, Kareem kind of liking Newkirk's defense, I think he was actually making some reasonably good decisions with the basketball at that point. And so, you know, again, he either didn't trust Johnson to get into the offense or, or whatever, but I think stuck with Newkirk in part because of that as well. Um, and, and I think it just ties together so many points we talked about today. Is like if you can't get your, if you can't consistently get your best lineup on the court because you don't, you can't figure out who among those guys is going to initiate the offense, then while maybe on paper that's your best lineup, maybe it actually isn't. I mean, I, I tend to agree with Ryan that that really, that that really is. And when I made the comment about you're not going to get back in the game playing two of your five best players, those are the five players that I'm thinking of. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, didn't trust that those guys could get them into what they wanted to run or do things defensively uh, at a key stretch in the game. So I think that's kind of the, I guess that's the dilemma uh, you know, facing Crean at this point, but yeah, I definitely, yeah, with three minutes left, ride it out. If he fouls, if he fouls out, he fouls out, but there's only three minutes left. And IU was, you know, making some hay on the boards at that point. Morgan was a big part of that. So, um, let him out, get out there and get offensive rebounds. Cause Blackman didn't rebound as well as normal today. And, and Robert Johnson wasn't really, you know, mixing it up in there, uh, to get rebounds too much either. So, um, I, I definitely would have liked to see Morgan there, but I think, you know, we can see reasons why Crean faced that dilemma and, uh, you know, can argue the reason he went, but that's my my take on it. At least. Yeah, I mean, I don't. You're not taking Blackman and Bryant off the court, and I think Newkirk was playing well enough that he needed to stay out there too. I think you take either Robert Johnson or OG Ananobi off the court for Juwan Morgan, and I'm not saying you do that every game, but the flow of this game, because Robert Johnson had a really nice start to the second half. You know, stepped up, had that layup where he drove right to the basket, then made a three. Then where did he go? I mean, Robert Johnson's a junior now. It's fair to hold him to a higher standard. If we're going to compare him to Greg Graham, like someone on the show always likes to, then he needs to step up and play better in second halves of games like this because he kind of disappeared in the second half, and he's better than this. And the defense was okay, but for him to only take five shots, and he was four or five, so he was efficient, but he just, you know, where was the aggressiveness? And then with OG, Ryan, you know, you've kind of been, you know, making mention of this. You know, he had seven points, three assists, seven boards. It wasn't a bad game for OG, but you could tell he was still feeling his way out. He wasn't attacking the offensive glass like normal. And so to me, Juwan's got to play for one of those two guys if they're not going to do more when they're out there. Let's let's also give Butler some credit. They played excellent defense on our perimeter guys for most of the game yeah. and 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 in the in the post as well. I mean, they were they were making it very tough for Bryant to get position. They outworked him or they they worked hard on him, probably harder than North Carolina or Kansas worked to get better position on him. Um, they just they were very disciplined. They played great defense, and I think that they worked to take Robert Johnson away. I mean, he did not get a lot of clean looks. It's not like he was passing up good shots. You're right; he didn't do much offensively, scoring wise, um, in the, especially in the second half. But they did a good job on him. I mean, this is a double. You know, this is a two thing. Indiana not playing its best game, and Butler played really well. We we can't ignore that fact as well. This wasn't Fort Wayne, as you said earlier. This was not a team playing like garbage for the entire game and losing to a suspect opponent. This is a very good team Indiana played, and a, a team that you know deserved to win. They earned that that win. But at the same time, it's not like Indiana just tanked this game. The end of the first half was awful. After that, I thought the second half, they played a pretty good basketball game. It was just too big a mountain to overcome. 
Yeah. All right. Let's uh, we'll keep breaking this game down. Still plenty more to uh, to hit on this game. Uh, we'll get to that next. First, I do want to take a quick moment and tell you why you should activate your free assembly call membership. Number one, it's quick and easy. Go to assemblycall.com slash join. It'll take you about 15 seconds. Uh, number two, it's how you get our best content. So by joining, you'll receive our weekly six banner Saturday IU Hoops news roundup, as well as our detailed postgame analysis emails, which we get to work on right after the postgame show ends. And plus, it's how you connect with us and the assembly call community. Speaking of which, we will be in town on January 7th for the Illinois game. Uh, we'll be having a little meetup at Yogi's afterwards, so we hope to see as many of you there as possible. Uh, if you're going to go, shoot me an email, jared at assemblycall.com. Let me know that you'll be there just so we can have a good head count. Um, and yeah, if you like what you hear on the Assembly Call, becoming a member uh, is the next logical step. So we hope you'll join. Join us for free at assemblycall.com slash join. All righty. Well, you are listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips breaking down Indiana's 83 to 78 loss uh, to Butler. Uh, guys, let's just look through, you know, a few of the numbers. Obviously, we've talked about the three point shooting. I don't think it's a huge surprise that Indiana didn't shoot well from three point range because Indiana hasn't historically really shot well in bankers life. And I think, you know, I thought Indiana was going to have a poor shooting night. I still thought they would win. Uh, and if they had done more of the things that we usually see them do, they still could have won tonight. So, yeah, obviously you look at it six for 21. You know, there's a lot of nights Indiana shoots 21 three pointers. They make 11 or 12 of them. And there's the difference in the ball game right there. But I don't think three point shooting was the difference tonight. Um, I think there's there's a lot of other things Indiana did poor enough uh, that, that caused them to lose this game. Um, you know, the turnovers, the final number was only 18.5%. And frankly, we all would have taken that number heading into tonight. So turnovers weren't even really uh, the reason why Indiana lost this game. It was just a lot of little things that added up and Butler made shots. And I think that's the one thing that we need to make sure that we focus on here. Because to me, that is perhaps the difference in this game. I mean, the way Indiana played in the first half, you know, a little bit lethargic, a little bit unfocused. You know, James Blackman Jr.'s defense in the in, in the first half, he was caught watching the paint dry a couple of times, which I think was indicative of, of the team a little bit. But then Butler's shot making, you know, Keelan Martin, some of the shots Shrabis made. Um, you know, I think that to me is, is the big difference in this game. Um, Andy, what else are we missing here? What else uh, on the stat sheet or just elements of this game that caused Indiana to lose have we not discussed? Well, it's interesting if you look at it, one of the other big things we talked about coming in was rebounding and offensive rebounding in particular. I mean, IU on the glass in total, 42 to 26 advantage, uh, 14 to 6 advantage in offensive rebounds. But second chance points were even at nine. Um, so you look at those things and that's, you know, pretty, pretty ugly. Um, you know, they missed a lot of shots in close. They, they got opportunities and they're able to get those opportunities because they really did take advantage of that size. You know, that's another, you know, not to, you know, belabor the point a minute ago of, you know, Morgan was doing really well there. Uh, and, and was a guy who was effective on the glass, to say the least. And so, you know, do you give yourself a chance at a putback? One of those shots doesn't go down. But um, I thought, you know, the, that in the turnover is really one one of the main things we wanted to watch. You know, the problem was that the, you know, the bulk of IU's turnovers came in the first half when it really got away from them, and they tightened it up a bit in the second half. But through a good chunk, or maybe all of the first half, you know, they're turned over one out of every four possessions. Um, and, and most of those turnovers were not. You know, it's kind of similar. So what we talked about with Butler when we previewed the game, you know, they only had five steals out of those, you know, 13 turnovers. They weren't necessarily taking the ball. I used just giving it to guys multiple times, just passing to guys in positions that they weren't going to do anything with it. Uh, passing to guys that weren't looking for the ball. Just those kinds of things where they came out early and were just playing really, really fast um, and just seemed to, you know, just speed themselves up too much. And I understand you're trying to, you know, kind of impose your tempo 
uh, on a team like Butler, who you know who really wants to uh, you know play slow and, and do those things. I thought IU almost went over the top trying to do that at times, um, and didn't play smart enough to get guys in positions where they could actually uh, they could actually score. So, but I think you look at you know the other, the other stat to kind of look at from if you just look at Butler stats, and, you know the guys that we talked about in the in the preview on the radio show in particular that were going to have the ball in their hands initiating the offense a lot were Tyler Lewis and Andrew Stravitz, and they had ten assists combined and no turnovers combined. So um, you get play like that out of those guys, it makes it, uh, it makes it pretty easy uh, to be able to run your offense effectively, even when the defense is decent, which I didn't really think it was for most of the game for IU today. Hey, why are we not forcing turnovers this year? I, I don't, I mean, to me, I, they didn't, I don't know. They didn't really, I mean, they're not doubling. They're not really putting, I think they're just trying to play, play straight up more than anything. I mean, I don't know that we have a guy who's, we got some decent individual defenders, but um, in terms of really getting, you know, off the ball steals on on passes and things like that, I just don't feel it doesn't feel like they're extending the defense a lot. And then there were times when today, then you know, in the midst of one of the runs, like Robert Johnson tries to pick up Tyler Lewis and then bumps him at half court, just kind of I don't know, trying to make a point. I'm not really sure sure what it was, but I, I thought I, I don't know. I don't know that I have a great great answer for that. Um, yeah. it, it, there's no real explanation for it. I think today was a lot of Butler, um, maybe more so than IU, but you know that's certainly an area that IU hasn't done well at. I, I don't really feel like I got a good answer for that one. Ryan, what else do you have jumping out on the stat sheet? You know, I, I know you said three-point shooting wasn't what lost Indiana the game. Uh, I, I would agree that Indiana's shooting didn't lose them the game. I mean, the 6 of 21, 28.6%, you know, uh, that's not that's not good. That's not Indiana. But but there are other ways to win a game than, than shooting. But if you look at the numbers, uh, Butler shot 25 free throws. Indiana shot 26. Uh, both teams missed six. Uh, Butler made Butler was 27 of 58 from the field. IU was 26 of 59. So they're right there pretty much even. And both teams took 21 threes and yeah. Butler made 10 Indiana made six and Butler won by five. That, I mean, that, that is the difference true. in the game. Uh, and Indiana came into the game. Number one in three point field goal defense in the country, which was right. due for a, a correction, but not but let me just let me just say this though butler made a lot of tough shots i mean these were not there were a few wide open looks they nailed but butler made a lot of tough shots and and so you got to tip your cap to them they probably shots they wouldn't normally make they're not an exceptional three point shooting thing they're a decent three point shooting team um and indiana again you roll the you roll the ball out there if i gave you those numbers if i said one team was 10 of 21 and the other was 6 for 21 automatically you're going to think it was flipped and Indiana hit those threes and Butler didn't. So uh, Banker's Life is a very difficult place to shoot. It always has been. And Butler made difficult shots today. And that's that's what won the game for them. I, I think that everything else being equal, Indiana out-rebounded them, as Andy pointed out. Uh, you know, the turnovers weren't that bad. Um, you know, both teams had a, you know, Butler had 14 assists, Indiana had 11. You're, I mean, you're just looking down the line. There's not a huge difference on the stat sheet. Uh, the only difference there is that Butler made four more three pointers, uh, and, and those were tough shots, and they and they nailed them. So you got to give them credit, and and That's Indiana obviously has to has to clean it up yeah. and, and start hitting their open looks. It's a good point. It's a really good point. Uh, let's talk about the bench uh, because you know in particular Indiana has been getting pretty good play consistently uh, for several weeks now from Deron Davis, and he you know didn't do a lot with his minutes. You know only two points, had a, one offensive rebound. Curtis Jones I thought really struggled, got a lot of of minutes in the first half, 
But this was another game where he kind of seemed out of sorts. He was 0 for 5, forced a few shots. Devontae Green, frankly, I thought played as well as anybody, uh, you know, coming off the bench other than, uh, uh, well, Morgan did come off the bench. OG came off the bench. But, you know, outside of those top six guys, I thought Devontae Green gave Indiana some good minutes. You know, he had three assists, had a couple of boards, um, you know, knocked down a couple of free throws, really did some nice things. But not having much contribution from Duran, I thought, really hurt Indiana because, Indiana really struggled, as we talked about, in those stretches when Thomas Bryant, you know, went off the floor. And, and that was in part because Duran wasn't really able to uh, defend and provide uh, kind of the offensive target in the post that he has been uh, recently. Uh, Andy, what else jumped out to you about the bench? Yeah, I thought Curtis Jones played relatively well when he came in in the first half. And I didn't see, I don't know, he played a great deal in the second half, quite honestly. Um you know, so I thought we saw moments from those guys. You certainly saw that Crean seemed to trust them uh, at key spots to really be able to, uh, you know, to initiate things. I, I do think, you know, Jones was aggressive, but almost to a fault. You know, he ended up 0 of 5. I thought a couple of the drives led to good things for IU, even though he missed the shots and they weren't terrible shots. There was a couple that uh, I probably wouldn't say the same thing about. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, yeah, he, he might have played one minute in the second half, I managed to get two shots up. Uh, no, five five minutes second half and and took a couple shots again. I think he took you know both threes he took were kind of not in the flow of anything that was going on. And uh, you know I mentioned Devonte Green earlier. I thought he had a few good minutes there in the second half when it seemed like a really odd spot to bring him in uh, based on what was going on in the game. But I think you know they showed a few good things, but I think they showed their youth as well. And and again you kind of go back to uh, it's really where you want a, a veteran guy to be able to step up and kind of take control in a in a game that's going to be really challenging for those guys and just never felt like anybody was able to do that. And, and um, you know, I think we kind of, I'd circle back to Robert Johnson. I mean, you mentioned that earlier. I just thought it was a, came out really assertive at the beginning of the game, got the first basket, came out really assertive at the beginning of the second half. But I just thought overall, um, not to deviate from your question about the bench, I, I thought that was um, a, a little bit disappointing from him that it, it seemed like a real chance. Everybody's talked about leadership and all those kinds of things. Uh, seemed a chance for him to really assert himself in that way. And, and for whatever reason, just wasn't able to do it. A couple quick uh, important comments from Tom Kareen. Uh, he did say in the post game, uh, Alex Bozich reporting this, uh, that Juwan Morgan wasn't cleared to play until this morning after suffering an injury earlier this week in practice. And Kareen did mention on the pregame show, you know, obviously getting OG back, you know, it seemed like everybody's healthy now, but he did mention, you know, we're not a real healthy team right now. And that seems to have been a refrain that, you know, the last couple of years, he said that a lot throughout the season. And so you never quite know if that's just the normal bangs and bruises of a season or if there's, you know, some more serious injuries going on. Uh, but it sounds like, you know, something serious happened with Morgan if he wasn't cleared to play until earlier today. And then uh, kind of a funny quote, uh, Tom Crean uh, talking about how he was disappointed in Indiana's shot challenges. Uh, part of the reason why Butler was able to shoot so well from downtown, saying to Pete DiPremio, we could have used you to date, Pete. I'm not kidding. We could have used you on Martin. Uh, so, Andy, I don't know if that's uh, searching for answers <laughs> a little bit as we discussed. But I'm not sure Pete DiPremio would have done a whole lot better on Keelan Martin than Juwan Morgan or OG Ananobi. But, hey. I guess couldn't have done worse there for about a five minute stretch in the yeah. second half. Seems seems unlikely. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> said when we previewed the game to make him uh make shots on the outside. So I think uh my analysis of that was perhaps inaccurate, but I you did certainly force him to make shots on the outside, which he uh was more than obliged to do, but certainly so, shot a lot uh, better than he than he had uh coming into the game from three point range, which is not one of the I mean, I mean, here, but 
Yeah. Look, when a, when a guy goes off like that, there's nothing you can do. I mean, you, you it doesn't matter who's guarding him. It doesn't matter how tall you are, how long your arms are. If a guy's going to make those shots, he's going to make those shots. I mean, it's, it's you know, we've seen guys do that for Indiana for years. James Blackman did it against Kansas this year. You know, I mean, there was it, it didn't matter if yeah. he had a hand in his face. It didn't matter if you tackled him. He was going to make the shot. Um, I wanted to talk about Deron Davis a little bit. I think that for him, he usually, he's such a solid all-around player. We've talked about that repeatedly. Um, and I think today the problem was he didn't get into the flow offensively because this is the first time he has played a team that is excellent at not letting post players get the position they want. Um, and, and Butler really did a great job taking away uh, entry passes to him and 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 moving him where away from where he wanted to go. You saw him at one point; he had a he shot a long jumper, which he doesn't do, uh, you know, because he got bumped so far off the block that it was it was a jump shot instead of you know attacking the rim. And when he didn't get into the flow offensively, I think that hurt him defensively as well. I think he was just not settled into the game at any point. Um, but that happens to freshmen, and Butler is such a well coached team. It's a team that can expose freshmen and, and knows to attack those guys and and I thought you saw that with Curtis Jones as well Curtis Jones is a remarkably talented player and he's going to be a great player for Indiana you know long term but he was 0-5 today 0-2 from three as, as you guys pointed out with a turnover you know he had a bad foul um, and, and he never really he was just out of control all day basically and and that's typical for a freshman. We just obviously you want to judge him uh, you know on a higher level because he's such a good player but he had a freshman game today, and I thought Deron Davis did too. And and so that's going to happen with these guys. It's disappointing it happened in such a big game. You'd rather have it happen when they're playing, you know, Houston Baptist, but um, or not I, all at the same time. I mean, yeah, one would yeah. Be fine. <laughs> <laughs> one at a time. Yeah, no. But again, you're playing a team like Butler that can expose players like that. And they, they to their credit, they did. And they let the freshmen kind of run wild and and didn't foul them, didn't put them on the line, you know, didn't do anything uh, to give them a chance to get in the flow of the game. So credit to them. And again, it's growing pains for Indiana for their bench. Yeah. You know, ultimately, this is a game that, you know, it did come down to obviously the three-point shooting run, like you said, and just defensively, Indiana just didn't play well enough defensively. I mean, the Hoosiers give up 1.19 points per possession to Butler. Uh, I believe that's the highest of the season. I don't know if Kansas scored more than that in the first game. Um, but this is... I think, I think I saw somebody say Kansas was like 1.12. I think Alex tweeted that out at some point during the game. I'm pretty sure yeah. it's the highest, at least. Yeah, I mean, and 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 look, again, part of that is Butler making shots, and part of it is Indiana just wasn't as locked in defensively. And you know what was odd about that? I don't know if you guys got the same sense. I thought IU came out really locked in the first four minutes defensively, like really locked in. I mean, you know, playing really and, aggressively. Obviously, they jumped out to that 6-0 lead. And, and offensively, too. I mean, they, they, they had a plan, and they were executing it. So yeah, this, was I, not, this was not a slow start, no. Yeah, and so I don't know what happened, you know, from that point on. And, I, you know, obviously, you know, Butler just kind of chipped away at it and, and chipped away. But, you know, it, it, it is. That, that, and and that's, that's strange because it's not like Indiana didn't just come out, you know, poorly from the tip. It's like things went really well, and then they relaxed a little bit. And, like, they kind of forgot what they did for those first four minutes and thought maybe this game was going to be easy. You know, I don't know, but just, uh, I don't know, a, a lot of frustrating things. So who is this team? Well, you know, you guys, I mean, is this the team that beat Kansas? Is this the team that beat North Carolina? Because um, Indiana's only really played four games that we can take much from, obviously. Um, and now we've had two big wins against Kansas and North Carolina. 
the really disappointing loss to Fort Wayne, and then the disappointing loss tonight to Butler. You know, Andy, who is who are the Hoosiers? I mean, are they basically a mixture of all four of these teams, or do you think that they're a little bit more one or the other? I, I don't. I don't feel like I got an answer. I think we got two and two in column A and two in column B at this point. With you know, with what we've seen, I, I think. I think tonight showcased the kinds of teams that they're really going to struggle against. A team who's not going to get rattled and has a specific system, a specific approach that, and they're not going to deviate from it when when things go awry. I mean, I think we saw that from North Carolina. I don't think that has anything to do with you know Roy Williams. I'm not saying Roy Williams isn't a good coach. I just thought they let the moment and everything that was going on get let them deviate from their game plan. And Butler never did that today, even when IU came out. Uh, you know, really and really attack, like you said, in the in the first, you know, kind of four minute stretch. So I thought they did play really well defensively. They got, you know, we talked about not getting steals. Robert Johnson gets one on the first uh, first play after that. But I don't remember one time that there was really a guy in a passing lane, uh, at least not very often uh, after that. And so, uh, you know, I thought Butler just executed what they wanted to do really well. And IU failed to adjust to stop it. I mean, they didn't run, you know, they just kept running ball screen actions and things like that until they got a matchup that they wanted. And they they found... You know, anytime somebody had Blackman on him, they tried to take him. Anytime that McRoberts was in the game, they had somebody saw him on him. They tried to take him, and they, you know, um, I I think it's, you know, it's one of those matchups that I guess maybe isn't a good one for IU and a, a team that's not going to get rattled uh, in that way. And I think you know IU and Kansas that game was just you know first game of the season, real up and down. Uh, everybody just you know kind of having a good time and playing. But I think a game like this, it really settled in and became you know, more of a half court game uh, and one where you really miss a guy like Yogi. And I think we you know, kind of said the same thing after the Fort Wayne game. So maybe that's what it is. It's, it's again, kind of, can you impose your tempo on somebody else or can they impose it on you? And I think the teams who are really good and steadfast in what they're trying to do uh, offensively and really slow it down and be methodical are the teams that have given IU trouble in the past and have done the same thing this year. Yeah. Brian, what do you think? You know, I'm not sure yet, honestly. Uh, Like Andy, I I don't know. Um, I tend to think that this is the team that played in the second half uh, and and the team that beat North Carolina. I think that is the the team this is. I don't think it's a team that played Kansas. Kansas was almost like a pickup game. You know, it felt like that. It was it was a great game, but it felt like guys just going and playing basketball. Uh, North Carolina felt like Indiana. it, it, It felt like Indiana came in with a plan and executed it to almost to perfection. Uh, This game. I felt like Indiana started off that way, as I said, and then lost it for a while. I mean, most of the first half was back and forth. I mean, Butler had about a six-point lead for most of the first half, um, you know, with little fits and spurts there. But, you know, that was it was still a, a pretty good game, a close game. And then that last few five minutes or so, Butler took the, took the big lead. Um, but I, I tend to think this, once this team is more comfortable together, uh, and continues to get more comfortable together. And as we get into Big Ten play, I tend to think they're the team that played North Carolina. Whether or not they can do what they did to North Carolina to other teams, to other good teams, is still up for debate. But I think that that's the kind of team we're looking at. It's As Andy said, it's whether or not you can execute and and impose your will on an opponent. And I've said this every time that we've had, we've come on after a loss in the last few years. It's not about the loss. It, the only loss that matters on the season is March and, and April and in the tournament. Those are the only losses that really matter. This, what, what matters most about this, yeah, it stinks to lose and it goes on your record and it hurts you, whatever. What matters here is how they respond to the loss and, and do they get better 
from the loss? Do they watch the tape and take something from it and come out in their next couple games and then come out against Nebraska and come out against Louisville knowing what they did wrong and being a better team moving forward? So, uh, again, with a team like this, with a lot of young players, that's the key is, is how do you respond to adversity? How do you respond to the loss? And what can you take from it? And, and so Indiana's got work to do. Still, this is not a complete team. This is not a finished product. And, and they need to, to learn from this, just like they needed to learn from Fort Wayne and just like they needed to learn from losing North Carolina in the Sweet 16 last year. I mean, you know, it's all of that. It's cumulative. And these guys need to learn and get better. All right, coming up, Ryan, I want to ask you that question about OG uh, that I held off earlier, and we'll get to last call. Before we do that, though, real quick, uh, one more reminder that a great way to support the Assembly Call is by ordering your official Assembly Call t-shirt from HoosierProud.com. Go to HoosierProud.com and check out their selection of unique, stylish apparel that anyone with Indiana roots will love, including our logo t-shirts. And don't forget to use the promo code ASSEMBLY for 15% off. That works for our t-shirts and anything else you buy. It's 15% off your entire order. And again, the URL is HoosierProud.com. All right. Well, you are listening to the Assembly Call IU Post Game Show. We are wrapping up here. I'm Jared Morris uh, here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips discussing Indiana's disappointing 83-78 to 78 loss to Butler. Uh, Ryan, real quick, you've kind of carved out your niche as the shot doctor on this show. And, uh, so, you know, something's kind of been bothering me about OG's shot a little bit. And I want to know if you're noticing the same thing. Like, it feels like at the end of the shot, at the release, he's rushing it a little bit. Like, I don't know if it's that he's pulling his follow through back quickly or just rushing the shot. But, you know, again, he was one for five today. And I thought the one that he made, he really took his time, set his feet. It was a little bit slower, more deliberate. And I, I'm I'm sure he wants his release to be a little bit quicker because that's one thing we noticed last year. He was really effective, but he did have kind of a long release on the shot. And I just wonder if he's been a little bit more inconsistent with the shot this year because he's trying to to quicken it. Are you noticing that too, or am I seeing things? Yeah, I think today um, it, it was more a product of not being on the floor in a while. Uh, you know, and and you can practice all you want, but there's nothing like being in a game, you know, the adrenaline. So I think that that is that does tend to happen with guys who sit for a while. They rush everything. And I did think he was rushing today. Um, I've said before, he has an unorthodox shot. The ball rests on his palm instead of his fingertips when he goes up uh, might be a result of having really big hands. Uh, if some guys do that. Um, but I think that with him, he just needs to maintain his follow through when he, when he goes through the motion of the shot, he needs to hold his follow through instead of, you know, like you said, pulling it back and, and pulling the string on it. Um, that leads to, if, if you pull back on it, typically leads to the shot line driving and being flat instead of getting better rotation and getting more arc on it. Um, so yeah, yeah it, watch for him when he shoots to hold his follow through, to hold his wrist up. Uh, through the follow through instead of pulling it back or you know putting a flourish on it or something it just be solid and and hold the follow through that typically will get you more arc on your shot get you more backspin um, as it releases so I, I I'd look for him to start working on that a little bit um, clearly again as I said in the last segment these guys are going to watch a lot of tape and and he's going to see himself doing that and I know that Tim Buckley is not going to be satisfied with that uh, being the shot doctor so uh, yeah I, I, there are some issues with his shot there always have been it's kind of an unorthodox shot so he's it, when you have an unorthodox shot all the little stuff has to be better and 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 has to be clean. And so he's got to make sure his release is clean. All right, let's go to last call. Get some final thoughts here. Andy, you're first. Uh, you know, I, 
I think we go into these next couple games wondering what we're going to get out of them. I mean, to me, the big thing to look for is this team has to figure out who its point guard is going to be, who's going to initiate the offense. Is that Newkirk? Is that Robert Johnson? Is that Juwan Morgan? Who is it? And, and I think it, it's not to say that this team can't win games against good teams without having a good answer to that question, but right now they don't have an answer to that question. Today's game, if nothing else proved, they don't have an answer to that question. Uh, and it really burned them in the first half. And, and uh, I think, you know, we all talked about how hard it was going to be to replace Yogi. And then you see him, you know, come out and beat Kansas. And you're like, yeah, maybe this will be all right. And they beat North Carolina. Man, maybe this will be okay. Maybe it's, you know, not as bad as you might think. And, uh, you know, he's certainly been missed in the games that they lost. I mean, it's one of the first things we come on and say. It's like you need somebody to take control. So who takes control in that situation? Who takes control of the offense uh, and really, you know, kind of sacrifices themselves to figure out what's going to work best for the team. And and maybe if anything, that's what we figure out in these next couple games for big 10 play. Cause there's going to be a lot of hard games and you're not going to be able to figure it out on the fly, uh, which is what it felt like they were trying to do today. Uh, and so I think, you know, until we get a reasonable answer to that question one way or the other, uh, I think we're going to struggle to figure out what the answer is to who this team can be, because there'll be days that they shoot the ball well enough to overcome it. And there's going to be days that they won't. Um, and today was certainly the latter. And, and so, you know, I guess for me, in, in a couple games coming up against sub-300 Ken Palm teams, you know, that's something that I'm going to look for. Uh, I don't know whether it'll be sorted out or not, but uh, I think they got to get that figured out, and then the pieces can fit into place from there. But uh, from a, I, I think we're a decent amount into the season, and I think people are still trying to figure out roles on the team, and I'm not sure that that's a great thing long-term, trying not to overreact too much to one game. But I do think um, that's going to go a long way to determining how this team ends up uh, shaking out in Big Ten play. Ryan, last call. Yeah, I just I just like to want to echo what I said before. I mean, it's not about the fact that Indiana lost today, and it shouldn't be about the loss. It should be about what Indiana does going forward, what they learn from this. Uh, this is a good Butler team that I think is going to be a factor in the Big East, and I think is also going to be a team that's around in March that we're talking about. Uh, I think that's a very good team. They don't have a lot of size, but they do everything else really well. And uh, when a guy like Keelan Martin goes off the way he did, typically you're going to lose. Uh, you know, and Indiana fought back and had a chance, so they can certainly take that away. Um, you know, they had a chance to to tie the game late, had a had their best shooter with a wide open look, and the ball just didn't go down. That's basketball sometimes; doesn't always work out in your favor. Um, but it's about what Indiana takes from this game, and and it's about improving moving forward. Yep. You know, it's, it's interesting. We come on these post-game shows, and especially after losses, you know, sometimes I feel worse after the show, and sometimes I feel better. I think right now I feel just about like I did <laughs> when the show started, um, you know, because I think, Ryan, you make some good points, uh, and, and I think those are some valid, I don't know if they're positives, but kind of silver linings to walk away from, and I think Andy highlighted, you know, a lingering negative, uh, and I think, you know, the defense, and I think the guards not rebounding like they normally did, and, and some other things are... Uh, are things that that will linger and should linger uh, no matter what Indiana does against Delaware State and Austin P because we're not going to learn a whole lot more until Indiana starts Big Ten play and plays Nebraska on the 28th and then faces Louisville and then you know look then you got Big Ten games you know one after the next and like Andy said that's not the best time to be figuring things out so you know look there's no shame in losing to Butler we, we all know how good of a program Butler is how good of a team they are when a team like Butler shoots like they did today there's a good chance a lot of teams are going to lose and Indiana did but there, there certainly should be disappointment because this is a game that even with Butler shooting well, Indiana should have found a way to win. The talent is there, but you know I think some of the decisions uh, from the coaching staff, from the players, you know some of the shots not falling, uh, didn't allow that to happen. And, and I think if that opens up some old wounds of 
games that just felt too much like this in the past that were important games for Indiana. I think that's a, that's a reasonable reason to be disappointed uh, and a little bit worried after a game like tonight. And so I think that's a, that's kind of how, how we all walk away from this game as IU fans. And so uh, we'll be back uh, on Monday. It's a quick turnaround for the Hoosiers. They play Monday against Delaware State. That game is at uh, 7 o'clock on the Big Ten Network. So we will be here after the game with another edition of the IU Post Game Show. We hope that uh, you will join us. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Go Hoosiers. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes. Email alerts. A string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.